Hey everybody, welcome to Observations. I am your host of this crazy podcast, Rob Liefeld. I have been doing this a long time. I have been doing this 34 years, not the podcast. The podcast, I, I haven't even done this a year yet, uh, but but comic books is, is, is my thing. And today it's perfect that, uh, that, that my 34 years actually of making comics, writing, drawing, producing, publishing is a sign of my passion, my passion of comics. And, and I have been obsessed these last few days thinking about the passion that I have and that others I know and, and whose work I really enjoy have for comic books, as well as those who seem to have lost the passion. Uh, it, it's, if it's your passion, it's, it's something you're doing. And, uh, and, and otherwise maybe it was your pastime and not your, not your passion. But for me, comic books has never lost its, uh, grip on me. It is, it is a, uh, I mean, it is a deep, tight, uh, grip that, that I just can't seem to shake no matter how much I would even try. It's just a part of the fabric of who I am. Comic books uh, since I started my love affair with them, you know, uh, 46 years ago, they have just given me that pop, that juice. There's something there that, uh, a fulfillment, uh, a, a relationship, a creative spark that I just don't get anywhere else. Uh, when I like a movie, you know, I, 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 I'll pick up, I'll pick up with Avatar. Avatar is a movie that is interestingly enough, uh, people seem to have, at least when they express it online, they seem to have lost their passion for this movie that came out of nowhere with giant blue-skinned aliens and took the world by storm, became the best, uh, top-selling, you know, best-performing movie of all space and time until it was temporarily upended by the culmination of all this, the, 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 the Endgame Infinity War Marvel Thanos saga. Uh, two years back, and then recently, in re-release, it has uh, regained its its uh, its perch as the top movie of all time. People almost seem as if they're embarrassed that this is the movie they deemed to be the best ever, but they deemed it. They they supported it. They bought the tickets. They sat in the seats, and they watched it again and again and again. Why am I talking about Avatar? Avatar is not a movie that um like the story was fun to me. I got it. It's very simple. It's on a very basic level. I think some of the most um, successful, uh, you know, uh, stories, sagas, tales, legends that we connect with are very basic. You know, it's like uh, my buddy who is a screenwriter, professor, said to me very simply, you know, what in his screenwriting class, he would start every season saying, what does Cinderella want? What does Cinderella want? And I will jump you to the end of that question. Cinderella just wants to go to the ball. The entire movie is about her going to the ball. And when you look at it through that lens, it is that simple. It's not about her relationship with her sisters or her evil stepmom or the magic carriage. It's the desire in her heart. She, 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 she has romanticized this event and she wants to go there in the worst way. Everything else is just getting her there and in the aftermath. Avatar is very, very uh, simple in that it is about one character's awakening and that awakening creates for him this incredible dynamic this new body to replace his um, the the body that he had that was crippled in 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 uh, in some sort of incident and and then as this embodiment he becomes the fulfillment of prophecy but it really is this awakening it opens with the eyes 
you know, opens with the eyes, closes with the eyes. Avatar is all about this awakening and it uses all this brilliant sci-fi to take us on this great trip and a fulfillment of a prophecy and a destiny. And it's, you know, again, what does Luke Skywalker want? He just wants to be a space pilot. And at the end of the movie, is he a space pilot? He's a space pilot. Is he now also some sort of, you know, uh, vehicle for a, for a prophecy? Yes, he's that also. But the fulfillment of the movie is to make him a space pilot, and he does. And in doing so, in becoming a space pilot, he saves the universe. In, in having his awakening, you know, uh, in, in Avatar, Sam Worthington helps save this uh, civilization. The story is simple. I didn't really go back and see it nine times in the theater, three hours a shot, sometimes twice a day. I didn't go back and see it because I was loving the story. I was totally blown away by the visuals. The, the, the movies, again, are, you know, a visual component. I mean, do you, are you aware that for the longest time they were silent movies and only when they started speaking, did they call them talkies? Are you going to a talkie? You know, I mean, this is, again, when things are black and white. I mean, this is, this is, seems like a hundred years ago. It, 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 it almost is a hundred years ago. I mean, it is a very, very long time ago, but the age of the talkie, you know, meant you got to start hearing what they said and, 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 and sound design and sound mixing and all the audio miracles and, and technological achievements that we have now, you know, started to form and, 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 and carry and to the road we are today. But they were silent. But we went, we, not me, my <laughs> my ancestors, my family members went and saw them when they were just silent. You watched them moving pictures, a motion picture. You went to see a motion picture. And, uh, and, and you were having a great time because you were watching a visual story play out. You were watching visuals. When we read a book, it was either read to us or when we read it on our own. And man, I had those golden books, the big little books. I had all that stuff growing up prior to me being obsessed with comics. But the visuals matter. And Avatar had state-of-the-art amazing visuals that created a passion in people, that created a almost, what is it, two billion? I mean, umpteen billion, over one billion. I don't have the figure in front of me. Everything now hits a billion, so it's it's, it's hard to say who has the pole position. Is it 1.8 billion? Is it 1.9 billion? Avatar ran away and blew people away. And there were people, uh, even in my comic book business, mocking it. There were people that came out uh, of, uh, of, the, of, of a sneak preview and said, Oh my gosh, this is such a you know, dumb movie. These, these tribal aliens on, on flying dragons battling military helicopters. I'm like, oh, that sounds like maybe the movie of my lifetime. I remember reading that description and going, okay, I'm going to really love this. It had fun characters. It moves great. It has just eye candy everywhere in the movie. But uh, I, I, that third act, when the Navi are all in their flying dragons and it, you know, they take on the giant supercopters and they have their aerial assault and it culminates with a stampede on the ground and the and the exoskeleton and it's it's a visceral and amazing looking, you know, movie and I I go nuts for it every time if it comes on. I let it play if I'm scrolling. Uh, otherwise, I have all the different, you know, Blu-rays of it. The 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 the, the directors uh, cut the box ray, the, the 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 box set, the the 4K. I've got everything. I've got, I've got it all. I've got, I've got all this stuff because I love it. I love looking at it. I love the depth of field. I love the 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 colorful range 
that that James Cameron, the palette that he utilizes with from the Navi to their to their dragons. Forgive me, I don't know what they're called at the time. Just a powerful, powerful visual after powerful visual. Incredibly staged shots, um, dramatic overhead shots, dramatic you know worm's eye view, and just cr- crazy action. Just crazy, crazy, awesome, amazing, amazing action. I I I just I have to tell you, I love Avatar. I watched all the time. It was fueled by people's passion. It caught people's attention. It took them on a ride. It took them on a journey. It was a one of the best roller coaster rides I had experienced up until that time, and I included Star Wars in it. But now people kind of apologize and don't understand why they got caught up in it, but they had a passion for it. And uh, we love movies, and movies have now, you know, taken a shift into our home theaters. That journey started probably 10, 12 years ago with these awesome TVs. And now we're getting, you know, all this great material. The Marvel shows, the Justice League by Snyder. We got King Kong, Godzilla. We got Invincible um, on Amazon coming up. We, we've got all these great stuff that we can enjoy with our state-of-the-art recliners and our state-of-the-art home theaters. And I, for one, thoroughly enjoy it. I have a great passion for movies, but I have umpteen times that passion. The way I revisit Avatar and the great visuals that I love of it and the way I rewatch Justice League four times, Zack Snyder's Justice League, reliving the visuals is what I have done to so many of the comic books on my spinner rack or in my collection. Oftentimes on the weekend, I'll, 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 I'll go out and I'll dig through my long boxes that I've brought um, to, my, to my home in my, in my garage collection and I revisit the comic books that I love the most. And so many of those are born in the Bronze Age, but there's great stuff in the 90s. There's great stuff in the 2000s. And I like opening those pages and I am hit with not only the beauty of the art and the storytelling that I love, but also the nostalgia of when I experienced it, how it made me feel. And my passion uh, has only grown uh, in the last 15 years. My midlife crisis was becoming obsessed with the comic books of my youth and and being reminded um, why I loved them so and what lessons I took from them. And, um, you know, I, I realized the other day uh, that I was very fortunate to have gr- graduated high school and the, desert, the, 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 the desire of my heart, the, uh, the passion of my life up until then, which was comic books, was, I, was, I was blessed. Um, I'm a man of faith. I believe God had something to do with it. Cleared some opticals. 18 years old, I'm hired. I'm hired. I graduated at 17. Before I turned 19, I'm working in comic books. Uh, you know, again, it, history will record. I, I, I graduated 17 years old in June of 1985 from Whittier Christian. And, uh, you know, by the time I turned 19, I was drawing for Marvel Comics. It was an exciting time. And uh, I was able to fulfill my passion from a very young age. And I have literally... I went to high school and I drew comics. It was that simple. It was that there was no in between. I did odd jobs getting there. I've covered that with you guys. I did construction. I did delivered pizzas. All that stuff in the in the in the in the bridge period. But really, the time I graduated to the time I started my career was like sixteen months, seventeen months, and it was. Uh, it has been a journey that has rewarded me in ways I could never possibly express to you. And I do not mean financially. I mean just the fulfillment, the emotional fulfillment of making comic books to me has taken me to highs um, that I have never ever dreamt of. High, high, 
high, high highs. Uh, I don't really, it, it, maybe there was a couple lows along the way. I count those as learning experiences. I think people wanted lows for my career specifically. They wanted some stuff to wipe me out, but that that's never even come close to occurring. I have had a healthy, robust uh, comic book career based on passion, based on the passion of telling a story, of learning to tell a story. So much as my as my own kids are are getting ready to go into the workplace. My twenty year old has one more year in college, and we talk about what it's going to take. He's you know he's interning this summer. I may not see him. That that realization is setting in. That his journey into his adult life is beginning, and uh, he may take an internship out of state. So you know I may I may not see him, but I'm excited for him. And I'm also trying to prepare him for the, the fact that he is going to be called upon to work a little bit harder than everybody else. Just, uh, you know, just as he was when he was a freshman walking on to play basketball for his high school team. Or just when he was a new recruit on his travel ball team. They're going to ask a little more from you, uh, from you in that new job. And that's your learning experience. And that's your, you know, when you're paying your dues. And when I first got in, I had to do short stories. And it, before I was rewarded with a miniseries like Hawk and Dove that could, could be transformative to me. But once that got going, you know, I took off and I never stopped learning. And a couple weeks ago, I talked about networking on this podcast. I, I, I talked about networking and contacts and it really took me back. And, and, and as I talked to you guys, you, you'd have no idea, but I was swooning reliving the times that I shared with Jim Valentino, the long walks to get Slurpees, the talks on the rooftops, the uh, examination of storytelling styles. Jim Valentino was, uh, and if you're listening, Jim, or this reaches you, know how much I love you, man. You have been such an uh, inspiration to me over time. And uh, from that, from, you, you set me right. Certainly, I had a great career, Hawk and Dove. I had X-Men fill-ins. But to go to the next level, I needed that extra attention to storytelling. And it, that was the 100 issues of Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four. That was the transformative you know how much how much more you can do inside a panel that the angles jack's staging so much of what i have become in terms of my storytelling which is the most satisfying aspect of my craft is 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 really born in the fires of that time together and jim was a eager and he was a um very knowledgeable and discerning mentor to me and i will always uh really call upon the fact that Jim really helped me. Working over his layouts was an eye-opener. Jim's a great page designer. On What If 7, I am working over his layouts. And uh, with few exceptions, there's a couple shots. Specifically, there's one where Wolverine has his um, finger up and the one uh, claws extended in that story. And he's kind of gesturing towards towards the reader. That that shot was completely read. Um, redesigned, rejiggered by myself. I reconstructed that uh, because I wanted to have have it have more punch. But it, the 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 flow was there for me to do that, and that became uh, that became a bumper sticker. Marvel made bumper stickers out of that shot. It was pretty funny. Um, that there was a shot of him leaning back in a chair with his legs up. That became a bumper sticker and a T-shirt. I I I just I had a slightly better sense of where to zoom in and zoom out. But all of this is cracking the equation. It's the code. It's the algebra. I'm, I've never really been great at the high math. Um, don't even get me started on, you know, I mean, ge geometry and, and above and calculus. Oh my gosh, get out of here with that. Um, 
that, that my calculus, my geometry has been comic books and it's based on my passion. And I was fortunate enough to break in with a group that was as passionate as I was. The fire, if I don't talk about the fire that Todd McFarlane had, then I did him a tremendous disservice. Todd was uh, really excited about being successful in comics because being successful in comics never meant more money to us. It meant more freedom to do what we wanted if we wanted to do a double page spread, a splash page. So the guys who really can embody that, who were not my peers, uh, that inspired us twofold. John Byrne, Jack Kirby. When Jack Kirby came back to Marvel Comics, as I told you, he had earned his place in that no one was going to write a story for Jack again. Jack wrote and drew, with the exception, I believe, of Destroyer Duck, which he did as a uh, as a fundraiser with Steve Gerber. Jack wrote and drew 99.9% uh, .9 of everything he did once he left Marvel and went to DC to do The Fourth World and The Demon and Commandy and OMAC and, and all of those different titles. When he came back to Marvel... Captain America, Black Panther, The Eternals, Machine Man, Devil Dinosaur, to name a few. He wrote and drew those, but also, knowing that he was the writer and the artist, he could page design. He could lay out from the outset what he wanted. Would he open with a splash and go immediately to a double-page splash, incorporate a fourth splash uh, in the, you know, two-thirds of the way through, and then possibly end on a splash? He would, yes. John Byrne would do that on his X-Men series that I've talked about again and again and again. Open with a splash. I believe it's X-Men 115. It's the Sauron issue. It opens with a downshot of Sauron, Aurora in his clutches, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Banshee, and Cyclops are standing a few feet from him. It's a hard bird's eye view, hard downshot. Everyone's positioned. It's a great splash page. You can see the water, the, 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 the river that Sauron took Aurora out of. And then the second, page two and three, is the most spectacular Wolverine shot ever, you know, illustrated. He is leaping and swinging his claw towards us as he swipes through or attempts to swipe through Sauron's abdomen. And Sauron is completely like recoiling, just barely dodging the blade. And uh, it is an amazing, powerful shot. There is, there is another splash page within that issue in a 17-page comic that was the run that transformed comic books for my entire generation and everything to follow. And in 17 pages, he utilized four splashes. So the guy could definitely... Um, John was definitely dictating pace. I've read numerous interviews just this last week about um, the conflicts that, that, that caused John to lead the X-Men and the fights that he had with Chris Claremont over what he was putting into the story as opposed to what Chris was putting into the story. Again, I, I mentioned this in the last episode. The reason I wanted to become a writer, the reason I became the writer of New Mutants with issue 98, I knew the power that the writer had. The writer, by telling the story, was able to dictate term, pace, page turns, page breaks, cliffhangers, um, splashes, double splashes, which, which are important. It's the language of comic books. It's a language that, unfortunately has been lost um, because nowadays comics are treated more like movie pilots, television pilots, rather than the extension of the art form that they were always intended to be and that they thrived on. Comic books is an American art form, okay? You know, it's it's our, our thing. We started it. We created it. Long before, you know, everyone else capitalized on what we were doing, comic books was and 
remains in its origin an American art form. And uh, we are so, you know, it, 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 it's a great innovation that we created, this this serialized, you know, storytelling, um, you know, and, 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 and has it gone on to be adapted and has it gone on to be, uh, to, to, to evolve through, through, you know, Eastern culture and, and, and between West and East influences, we have absolutely, uh, expanded what a comic book can become the, the, the shelves and shelves and shelves of manga at every comic book is a, uh, you know, is, is a, uh, is 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 a testimony to how how much that uh you know that 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 the Japanese, the Chinese, the Koreans came in and exerted their will on the art form and we have complemented each other and we have learned from each other. Um but the 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 you know comics is an American art form dates back to as early as 1842. These were comic book periodicals and uh you know as as they were called funnies the funnies did you read the funnies my dad used to grab the newspaper and i would get it after he was done and he said do you want to look at the funnies okay because that was the code code name um you know you know that was the code name for comic books in the newspaper and over time whether whether it's the european approach to comic books or the Eastern, the, the, the Asian, you know, manga um, approach, the the graphic novels of Europe, um, the, the 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 comic book, absolutely, the comic book art form has evolved, and we feed off each other, we 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 influence each other. Um, the 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 end result, though, is that the comic book was not born to be a a a pilot or a shell, or a Trojan horse for a movie, or a, uh, or, or a TV show. It's, um, you know, the, 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 the origin of them was to, you know, uh, you know, tell you illustrated visual stories and, uh, you know, and, and, and entertain you on the merits of a comic book and on a comic book alone. And again, from the from the the the, the uh, successful launch of these pre- periodicals in the 1800s, we have kind of um, you know dominated the space until again the manga that has just dominated since the 80s. But Marvel Comics has a specific style that they incorporated that was different than DC Comics, and DC Comics were quieter to my viewpoint. Always were. They were the um, that, that, that DC Comics was the Kurt Swan kind of house style. Kurt Swan is a amazing illustrator. There was nothing he didn't draw that was very pretty, but it was very quiet. The hardest punch he ever threw uh, just felt like it was being thrown in, in slow motion. It was not a Jack Kirby punch. It was not a John Buscema punch. Um, the splash page, the different splash designs of, of, of the Marvel comics universe and and once jack lays the template down at marvel and john buscema runs with it as john buscema fills in and and, and follows him on so many titles thor fantastic four avengers 
Uh, and then we have this illustrative quality from a like a, a, a Frank Frazetta style, you know, figure illustrator who is who is swooping in and 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 now doing what Kirby did in terms of power and layout with this impeccable figure and and, and illustrative uh, uh, talent. It, the, the comics just separated. I believe that that's when like gasoline was poured on the fire and, and it became a raging inferno and Marvel just separated from DC, which continued to be quieter. Today on the uh, the Twitter feed, the spinner rack, I've referenced this before. Uh, before I came on today, there was uh, that they, they showed that DC Comics on the day that I'm recording this uh, released the t- Teen Titans, Tales of the Teen Titans miniseries spinoff number one. It was Cyborg. It was a four-issue, Cyborg, Raven, Changeling, Starfire. I'm not sure if it was in that order, but those were the four given the spotlight. The four kind of, with the exception of Changeling, who used to be Beast Boy from the Doom Patrol. These were the, the you know, basically a year and a half into the Titans' giant transformative run. Uh, they're giving the, the, the issue-only, you know, single-issue spotlight uh, to all the new characters, uh, Cyborg, Raven, Starfire. And uh, then All-Star Squadron was another book that came out that day. And that was done by Rich Buckler. Rich Buckler, who had uh, danced between both companies, but had really found his niche at uh, at Marvel. He did an extended run on he did an extended run on uh, on 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 Fantastic Four. He did some Avengers. He did Deathlock. Rich Buckler was very much knowledgeable and 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 uh, of the of the uh, of the Kirby aesthetic. He was really good at it. He was really, really good at it, and that aesthetic was 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 something that George Perez was really, really good at as well. And George was the driving force behind the Titans and was drawing these Titan spinoff books in addition to the regular Titan book. He was one hundred percent just completely dominating DC when he arrived. And he, more than anyone, gave them this new dynamic, this new Marvel dynamic, where suddenly the the Marvel way of telling comic books that wasn't a movie, that wasn't a a screenplay, that wasn't a TV pilot, that that he now, he understood that aesthetic, the, the, the Jack Kirby power aesthetic, and he took it over to DC. And Rich Buckler started doing a ton of work over at DC. Obviously, there was huge openings. Um, DC writers... Prime, prom, prom, <laughs> prominent primary Marvel writers named Marv Wolfman and Len Wein and Jerry Conway went back to DC to do Justice League, to do the Titans, to do Flash. Uh, these guys uh, just just all arrived over at DC based on some sort of new opportunity and or slash fallout with Jim Shooter. But they took that Marvel dynamic, that Marvel aesthetic, and DC suddenly was being transformed. Rich Buckler did DC Comics Presents. He did tabloid-sized giant Superman versus Shazam. He did All-Star Squadron. George Perez did Justice League and Titans. He did he did uh, issues of DC Comics Presents as well. DC Comics Presents was a big selling book for them. It was their version of Marvel Team-Up. But this Marvel infusion of talent was noticeable. And suddenly, DC was more competitive. They were selling better. And, and Marvel was overflowing with talent at the time. The Frank Millers, the Howard Chakins, the Walt Simonsons, the John Burns, they were all just dining out on the Marvel aesthetic. I, I did a, uh, 
in this Facebook group that I have. I did a cliffhanger week. We try and keep do these weeks and keep things fresh. And I had no idea. Just I wanted to delve into something that I felt really defined that era. And once we dove into it and everyone shared cliffhangers, full page, full splash page cliffhangers. And, and, and you realize just how uh, those cliffhangers, those full page last, you know, turn, page turn with the <gasps> big reveal was the, the, the definitive, the definitive component of, of the Bronze Age, which I maintain transformed comics as we speak. Again, go back to the fact that the Eternals is coming. Shang-Chi is coming. The Black Widow um, film is coming. Okay. The Falcon was born in the Bronze Age. That, that we're seeing on Falcon Winter Soldier, all of the WandaVision stories that were mined, uh, that, you, you know, we, they, they, they mined those comics for stories. Those are all from the Bronze Age. The Bronze Age is deeply resonant. Dark Knight is from the Bronze Age. The, jet, the, 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 the Ben Affleck version of Batman is from the Bronze Age. I cannot make this point more resonant to you <clears throat> that you are seeing so much of what was born and honed in the fires of what I believe the greatest age of comics. Now, there I am. I am not trying to, you know, uh, take anything away from my generation and what we achieved. Um, but I'll always look up to the Bronze Age. I'll never feel like we game set match them. I always feel like we will look up to them. The '90s was exciting. I see some of you, you some of you now. I was talking to my wife last night. We were out to dinner, and I said, you know, you gotta understand the fans who were 10 years old buying New Mutants at 98 or 10 years old buying X-Force number one, you know, you're now adding 30 years to them. You're, you're 40, okay? Um, you know, if you were 12, you're 42. I mean, we, we, we have gained tremendously. Deadpool just turned 30. If you were 10 when you encountered him, you're now 40. You have families. I'm meeting them. I just did a, a run of signings from Dallas, Southern California, I'm seeing so many of you. You you have your beautiful families that you bring along with you. Some of the fathers uh, and 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 moms bring their 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 sons and daughters that are equally excited and inspired by comics. They they've transferred that passion to them, and I had a passion for a certain style of comic book that inspired my style of comic book, and that was born in the Bronze Age, and away from again this American art form that that we excel that that we continue to excel at i love manga i love manga as much as the next guy and i think there are things they definitely do better than us but i think we when we are at our best we are the tribe the true we are just a resonant um american publishers and we publish korean artists and brazilian artists and spanish artists and uh you know uh, uh, Italian artist. It, the whole spectrum is covered. It's a very exciting time, and people are bringing different dynamics to their aesthetic. And again, like like them, once I learned my craft from Jim Valentino, and really honed it, and, and made myself a better storyteller. My next thing was to take uh, copiously from manga, from Appleseed, okay, from uh, from from. Uh, uh, Bubblegum Crisis, okay, from uh, Berserker, from Bastard. These are m- manga titles that you should be aware of. Now, my son and I, we share a passion for Attack on Titan. Um, he, I was into Naruto way before he was, but now he is into Naruto, and so is my nephew. And uh, and then there's, you know, 
My Hero Academia. All uh, manga continues to thrive in the Liefeld household. I pick up stuff I've never even, I don't even know what the title is, but I used to go to a Japanese bookstore in Garden Grove and a Japanese bookstore in Westminster, and I would spend hundreds of dollars at the cashers are just piled high and their hard and fast rule was that I couldn't open them. You can't open them. They're shrink-wrapped. Everything was shrink-wrapped. You had to buy it sight unseen. I could not open. I could not sample. So I had to be really good at picking the ponies, man. I'd be like, I think this one's going to be one that I like. This has some tech. Um, you know, and uh, and ultimately, that dynamic uh, fueled, along with my Jack Kirby dynamic, fueled my own continued to fuel my passion and push me and make and, and want me to be better. And ultimately, the passion is what keeps you in the game. And 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 as as a 34-year-old who has been doing this um for how many days and weeks? I should have calculated it before I came on and, and, and slayed you with some some great data, but that can all be done in retrospect. I, I think I've told you I've done four thousand pages. More than most, less than some. Okay? There are guys and women, ladies and gentlemen, who have definitely logged more miles than me. But I am definitely in an echelon where I have logged more miles than most. And some of even, not only the my peers, but the guys that I respect and love the most. Um, I've, I've mentioned Art Adams. I love him. I love everything he does. I, I give it a look. Uh, I, I, I try and at least collect the images if I'm not, you know, buying the actual comics. Some of his covers aren't available to me. But it has been a long time since Art Adams did an interior story. Did 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 a you know did a did a multi part story. And uh I know he did an Ultimate X Men with Jeff Loeb. I think he did a Guardians of the Galaxy for several years ago, but his interiors are hard to come by. I really judge the quality of artists that I love by the storytelling that they do. Now, he may not have any interest in it, and that's something I'll discuss with him. But he has certainly got a uh a very booked schedule doing umpteen amounts of covers. And he wouldn't do that unless there was a demand for him to do that because people love his covers, so that's what he does. And there is an entire echelon of guys who just do covers. And let me speak to the fact that doing those covers may satisfy their passion. That may be their passion. Certainly, when you go through any artist alley at any convention uh, in the United States or the few that I've attended overseas, when I see these various talents, um, so many, let me, I should say, so many of these various talents that I see at these tables, they deal in single images. They deal solely in single image um, kind of communication, pop images, uh, pinups, covers. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's the kind of stuff that, that uh, it does not uh, entail any sort of storytelling whatsoever. Storytelling, as I mentioned earlier, is the math, it's the geometry. Okay, um, it, it, it is it is more of the science of the comic book, and when you try and when you are doing storytelling on a regular basis, it I'm telling you, it is the t- most taxing part of of the craft. It is if if you cannot generate fresh storytelling, then you don't have a page. If you don't have a page, you're not telling a story of any kind. But single image single image cover work. Um, is its own thing. And, it, and it's an art form. It's definitely an art form. And there are guys, many of whom I won't name, who have leaned hard into doing that and only that. And look, I get it. I get that you can, you know, here's the deal. If drawing Wonder Woman and getting Wonder having Wonder Woman published or whatever female figure, not, not specifically Wonder Woman, 
But if, and some of these guys back in the 90s, we called them babe artists. I don't know what they're called now, but some of them do primarily female figures, female figure work, female faces. If that is what, and some of them who are doing the female faces and female figures are in fact females. So it's a broad spectrum. That may be the ultimate fulfillment that they have of their passion. They want to see, it's that they get to walk into the store or get to be mailed a copy of an actual published Spider Woman, Wonder Woman, Black Cat, and they did the cover. And that is like awesome. That may be the absolute fulfillment to them, the, the, uh, the, the, the reality that they wanted to have kind of achieved, they achieved it. And for them, I'm super happy for them. And, and some of them I really admire and wish they would do interior work. Some of them, I'm not sure I've done any interior work whatsoever, but I'm aware of their covers because they get released, they get tweeted about, they get shared online. You see specialty covers, you see one cover um, done in four different versions, the, the, the line art, a different colored version, a different colored version, and a different colored version. So, I mean, there, there's a market there. The, the market is absolutely there, and that speaks to that passion. My passion goes much deeper. It goes to storytelling, and it's harder. It's, it, it, if there is a argument to be made, it, whether cover imagery is more difficult than storytelling, I, I, I don't think that argument has a leg to stand on. Storytelling is the much more difficult uh, path to follow. It again, it is the it is the um, algebra two, the, the, the geometry of, of comics, the equation has to be cracked. Some guys like Neil Adams had a studio. He was so passionate about doing comics and giving people breaks. He created a studio within that studio. Sometimes he would pencil, sometimes he would ink. Sometimes he would, um, have other guys draw the backgrounds. And that is kind of the fulfillment of the, what we saw with the Japanese manga, certainly Akira was a mini hands on deck. Different people did the figure work, the technical work, and the backgrounds. That was kind of the studio house system. And when you see these photos of how some of this great and popular manga was produced, it's there's background specialists, there's gray tone uh, specialists that are putting down the gray tones back before computers could do it. And you had to do it manually with Zipatone. Uh, there were the, the figure guys, there were the inkers, all sorts of different, um, there were the layout guys. Pages were passed, and, and it was very much a production method overseen by one kind of artistic, um, superior artistic uh, master. You know, the 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 the, the uh, I guess for our intents and purposes, um, the the contractor. You know, who takes the job, who then assembles the 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 crew to put the house up or to you know build the build the pool. The contractor oversees kind of this house, uh, that this studio system. That would that would create this kind of uh, a dynamic that you could produce more high quality work at a at a greater speed to feed either the passion to get it out there or the need because there could be a demand that you're feeding but that the demand is there because you executed your passion at the high level. Uh, Neil Adams had a studio, Continuity Studios. Uh, oftentimes, Krusty Bunkers was the name when they would jam on a job um, and all sorts of of different talented names during the time from Bob McLeod, Joe Rubenstein, Dick Giordano, uh, Bob Layton, Mike Netzer, formerly Mike Nasser, um, all the different, you know, people coming in and out of that, that, uh, that, that studio system would contribute to any given page on any given day when he would expand. There was a period where I know Jim Lee wanted to, uh, create a, uh, 
a studio system on par with the Japanese one, the one that we were talking about with Akira. Akira was a heavy focus at the time in this mini hands on deck. And, and over the years, he's utilized several different, um, from background specialists to, uh, to, 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 to like a tech specialist, like I mentioned, Carl Allstetter, who did so much of the tech work during specifically the Genosian, uh, the, the, the extinction agenda. So many of that, the, the Genosian, the, the weaponry, the sleds, the mech, the mecha was a product of Carl's pencils of which then the perfect aspect of what Jim was doing is in Scott Williams, he had, uh, a truly passionate inker finisher who could put his polish and tighten up everything, bring all the elements together. And they even did an issue where it was kind of Wilfs and Jim and, and Carl and Scott all jamming together to make one job. And over the years, Jim has uh, implemented guys like Joel Gomez, Carlos Deanda, who have come on board to do backgrounds. I mean, literally, I think they're since 2004, 2005, Jim has had a heavy deployment of, uh, of background artists, of, of guys who do character finishes. Again, uh, Carlos Deanda, uh, uh, Joel Gomez are two guys who have told the stories. They have um, talked about the involvement they've had with these these jobs. I've seen the overviews of these incredible three-point perspective cities that they've generated. But when Scott puts his sheen on top of it, it ties it all together. And so you, when you look at it, don't see that there may have been three or four different guys who touched that. Um, maybe Jim was doing the finishes on the faces only. But here's the deal. Whether it's Neil Adams, whether it's the Japanese studio, whether it's Jim Lee, you have to have the storytelling. You have to have the layouts first. Without the layouts, there's nothing to build on top of. There's no, there's no, um, there's no buildup. Carlos Deanda can't come and finish the figures if there's no layout of the panel where the figures are. Joel Gomez can't come in and do all the backgrounds and and do all the the the, the cityscape without the layout. And that's where the sometimes the layouts get locked up. That is the version of artist writer's block that we experience. And if I don't have the layout, I don't have anything. And in the past, I have asked Marat Michaels, I have asked Todd Nock to do uh, layouts for me back at Extreme. This is 20 years back. I would always give them credit and they would get extra pay. The reason, if you're confused and you haven't seen Carlos Deanda and or Joel Gomez's name or Carl Allstutter's name, ask them about it. They'll tell you. It's many times, you know, when when the, the, the when you don't want the curtain to be peeled back and see that, you know, the wizard is behind the big giant hologram. Um, in this case, behind the curtain, the it's it's Joel Gomez, it's 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 Carlos Deanda, it's Carl Allstetter, and then of course Scott is tying it all together with his polish, his 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 beautiful commercial line and his ability to render and draw himself. This um this achievement, uh is made possible because Jim did a layout of a page. But sometimes these guys go uncredited because they don't want the illusion to be shattered. So they'll take more money to not be credited. And, and some of these guys have, have, have longed to be credited, which is, you know, why they tell the stories and why they share with their friends and why the word eventually gets out. Neil Adams did the same thing. You, you, it didn't identify per page. Page two was by this. Page three was by Bob McLeod. Page four was by Bob Layton. No, you just had to have the joy of picking out but there was a master in it with, with Jim's mythology, methodology. Um, Scott, as the primary finisher, the guy that could pull it all together, is is has been an invaluable, 100% invaluable um, tool in the actual creation of comics. And I love talking about the creation of comics. And so the passion to create the comics, for me, 
I can't get anywhere until I do the storytelling. I can't get all hands on deck. Um, I've used a background artist on about five pages in the course of my career. I am known for not doing backgrounds. So there in itself is the proof that there is not a whole lot of background uh, artists to find and hunt down in regards to with what I with what I do because I have become more minimalistic looking to guys like Frank Miller and Tim Sale for a more minimalistic approach to get what I want out of the comic, which is more face and character work. But if I have to set, if I have to give a setting, I'll give a setting. In the upcoming Shield, we set the room. We tell you the room that Shield is in. And then he's attacked. And from there, people are going through windows that we established and going getting thrown through furniture that we established. And when he goes into the, out into the streets, I'll give you some buildings. Enough to know that it's happening in the city. If you want some breathtaking, awesome, amazing cityscape work, I'm not your guy. I've never been your guy. I've never advertised as being that guy. That's not where my passion runs. So I found a way to mitigate it. I found a way to accentuate my other strengths and my other passions. But in regards to the passion and doing what we do and storytelling, and that's where I draw the line at, like that's the ultimate um, kind of barometer, the, the, the bar to clear. So many of my peers have who had passion have fallen off. It's, it's, they were some of the best to ever do it. And they don't, you know, they don't play anymore. They don't jam. Um, you know, I've said this, the, the guy who has the most passion, who can dunk on me all day long is Eric Larson. The guy has done 270 plus issues of the dragon. He is well on his way to doing 300, uh, issues that he wrote and penciled and inked himself, which is nothing less than staggering. It is different than publishing 300 issues of Deadpool. There was a 300, I think it was, I did the cover to the 300th issue of Deadpool. It was in 2018 that it came out. I was so excited. I, I tried to pour everything I had into that cover. I made it the very best cover I possibly could. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, it, it, I didn't draw 300 issues. Um, I, I didn't... Uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, I, I did not draw on any level, um, the 300, uh, issues of Deadpool. Um, Marvel published them. Several different creative teams came and went. I would have preferred as you, I, I, many of you wish I would have done 300 issues of Deadpool. I wish that Todd McFarlane had done 300 issues of Spawn, but, um, neither of us did that for you, but, 300 issues were published regardless. That is an achievement. That is a separate achievement. Collating creative teams, multiple different writers, multiple different punstlers, inkers, that is a huge achievement. There's nothing to take away from that achievement. It is not on any level the same as Eric Larson writing, penciling, and inking every single damn issue of Savage Dragon as he approaches 300 issues. It is staggering. It is no... It, it is absolutely staggering what he is achieving. That speaks to his passion. Does he need to do it? No. This is also when you know the passion is out there. The the passion. Robert Kirkman, the last time I looked, I don't believe has to um, write another comic book based on uh, just, I would guess, all of the um, uh, uh, sharing that he has in having three different separate and I think there's a forthcoming Walking Dead shows that have been on the air for over a decade and hundreds of episodes. There are actors who don't work because of residuals. They get to relax on the residuals. Robert Kirkman, having created Walking Dead, I am fairly certain, does not need to write another comic book for the rest of his life. He does it because he's passionate about it. He is writing 
all the comic books that he is currently writing because he loves doing it. It is his passion. He has a passion the same as as I do. He does not need to. He is um, ridiculously successful based on so much of what he has achieved. He is no longer required um, to 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 do what he does, but he does it, and it's 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 kind of a bit of a demon. I mean, this 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 uh, when you wake up every day and you can't help but think about all the other stories that you have yet to tell, some that you may never tell, it is um, it is agonizing. It is absolutely agonizing. It's 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 uh, it, 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 it's a burden that you carry. It, it speaks to the passion. I'm constantly trying to map out how many stories that I can tell. You know, how many more trade collections, hardcovers can I collect that I can contribute? I love telling stories. My passion was G.I. Joe when I was a kid. I have been able to enact that and do over 100 pages of interiors across five issues of Snake Eyes this past year. It has been a true joy. It is the same joy that I'm experiencing now doing these Archie Comics characters, the Crusader, Shield, Jaguar, the Fox. These are characters I always wanted to draw, and now I am. I've been gifted that. That speaks to my passion. There was no roadmap that do Snake Eyes and you'll be successful. G.I. Joe was kind of tired and... um, uh, the, the tread on the tires was severe. The, the Archie stuff hasn't even been being published regularly. The, 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 that is me um, checking off passions within passions. My passion is comic book. The Shield and Crusaders is a passion inside a passion. Snake Eyes and G.I. Joe is a passion inside a pa- of a passion, which is why I do it. Um, I think it's been five years since Jim Lee drew a comic book series. I think that was Suicide Squad. I think that was 12 pages an issue that he was doing to, to balance with his executive work. But since then, aside from maybe a short story in one of the thousands issues, I don't know, there was a Batman and a special, a Superman, they, they, they were having benchmark, were they, were they thousand issues? I'm, I'm not sure, but I think there's short stories in there. But outside of that, no, no, no saga, no multi-part story. Um, Mark Silvestri has been kind of MIA on interiors for about eight years, which is sad. He is single best artist of maybe any generation fusing the illustrative qualities that I speak of with John Buscema, the Frank Frank Frazetta figure work, the amazing story, amazing storyteller, page designer. He checks all the boxes, draws the most beautiful faces, female, male ever, ever in uh, the most amazing figure work rendering. But he's been MIA. Todd is MIA other than an inking here and there. And I know Todd is very um, committed to his toy company, which is maybe one passion replacing another. So, you know, I, I can, that, that's easily um, qualified. Um, but, but so many of my peers, it appears that just myself and Eric Larson still have a passion. Jim Valentino is semi-retired, have a passion for delivering monthly comic book or regular comic book work. Again, I've, I've kind of decided that a hundred pages a year is what I can put out. I have to pick my spots carefully and that's what I do. And, and, and that speaks to my passion and you wonder Again, going back to like a Robert Kirkman, I'm going to tell you like a Steven Spielberg, he hasn't had to step on a movie set and roll camera and be a director. He, he, he hasn't needed to do that for the better part of 20 years. He won the Academy Award for Schindler's List, 1994, was that it? 1993, 1994. The same year, the summer, that summer was Jurassic Park, his mega commercial connection with audiences. And uh, a real breakthrough on so many levels, especially technical and special effect achievement. But he he had all of his uh, all of his directorial, his finely directorial honed skills were put to work. All all of the great cues 
that he had been building towards his entire career. Then he did this groundbreaking Schindler's List, heartbreaking, beautifully shot, poignant movie that he won an Academy Award for. He could conceivably hang it up and not work again. He had Between Jaws and Close Encounters and E.T. and the Raiders trilogy and, you know, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park now being a hugely successful franchise that he launched. He doesn't conceivably have to direct again. He does it because it's his passion. He wants to tell stories. He wants to command a crew. He wants to direct a set. Actors create a visual component that excites you because it's his passion. It gives him this ridiculous fulfillment. And I'm telling you, your passion gives you that ridiculous fulfillment. Otherwise, um, it's not a passion. It's it's You can say, well, it's, it can be serviced in other, me- other methods. Maybe if, if you love drawing comics, you're going to draw comics the rest of your life. Um, covers is a different thing. There is a definite career path to being a cover artist, but also that is not being an interior artist. If all Frank Miller had ever done was covers, and he did plenty of them, then there was a period where in the late 70s, early 80s, he was doing five to six covers a month. He was doing covers to Power Man, Iron Fist, to Rom, to Hulk, to Spider-Man, to Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, to Doctor Strange. He was doing all manner of covers, including his monthly work on Daredevil. If all he had done was covers and they were beautiful, some weren't by himself, some weren't by Joe Rubenstein, some weren't by Bob McCloud, some weren't by Klaus Janssen. It was his interiors that created that bond, that emotional. I, I learned to speak Frank Miller because he taught me his language. We each have a language that we're, that we're, we're transferring. Robert Kirkman has a language. I've talked to Robert about page turns and page breaks and, and making sure those matter. He seems to have mastered a Bronze Age, uh, you know, the Bronze Age criteria of excellence in everything that he does, which brings me to a passion of Robert Kirkman's that turned into my passion for Robert Kirkman, which is this weekend, Amazon drops their Invincible anime. And I haven't seen it. I've seen trailers and I've seen cuts and I've seen scenes that Robert showed me right before the pandemic, before we were separated and I haven't seen him in a year. I highly recommend you listen to my podcast with Robert Kirkman where I interviewed him on my 50th episode. It was a thrill. It was exciting. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed all of the stories that Robert was able to share on that podcast. We discussed somewhat Invincible um, during that time. But here's a kid from Kentucky who created a superhero comic called Invincible. That's where I got to know him. I saw the advertisings. I, 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 I've said I could not believe when I held Invincible number one in my hands how competent the, prod, the, the entire product was. Corey Walker had come out of nowhere to me to be this like amazing storyteller, figure, uh, illustrator, faces, costume, uh, just all of it. He was great at from the outset. And Robert spoke fluent comic book, soap opera, drama, had me on the edge of my seat. The first 10, 12 issues of uh, Invincible and that may incorporate, I don't know when Ryan Otley came in, but it was fairly seamless. They they are great, great soap opera, um, great drama, great action, a lot of humor, tons of world building. And it has deserved a platform to carry its signal further. These hundreds of issues. I mean, there was over 100 issues of Invincible. Ryan Otley himself did 100 issues. He's one of those guys that goes, eh, game, set, match, Liefeld. My, my, what do you think about this passion? Because he has clearly, he is over the 4,000 page range. In, in, in 20 years, he's done what I've done in 34, okay? So, so again, when I say I've done 4,000 pages, it's more than most, but definitely less than some. And uh, the Invincible 
series. You should pick it up. The comic books, um, as good as the animation will be, it will fall short, in my eyes, of the passion that was put forth in the comic that made me love it in the first place, that made it a monthly date on my calendar. I remember dropping my kids off for an event on a summer evening when like events Invincible like 10 was out and being completely blown away again by the execution, the craft. It's violent. It's R-rated. There's a great relationship there. It, it's, it's another Superman sort of motif, guy from another planet with powers. But as, as so many Superman motifs, whether it's Hope Hyperion, whether it's Supreme, whether it's, you know, uh, 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 Samaritan from, from Kurt Busiek's Astro City, what, I mean, there, there are so many Century, you know, at Marvel, it doesn't matter. It matters what you do with it. And, and, and Robert had the best take on that, that I've ever read. Um, he, 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 he just executed at the highest level between Corey Walker and Ryan Otley, always with just tremendous partners, tremendous artistic partners um, to, to, to come alongside and, and, and to complete and, and do this, 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 this amazing vision together that they created of this killer comic. And I think when the public sees it, I remember when Man of Steel came out, Robert and I were joking that Man of Steel kind of felt more like an invincible comic. It didn't feel like, and that's kind of what set people off was the level of violence and destruction that you would get in an invincible comic that you wouldn't necessarily get in a Superman comic. We were getting on a Man of Steel movie, in a Man of Steel movie. And at the time, it was like, huh, felt like this is very much uh, uh, an invincible, more more of an invincible dynamic with the emphasis on the violence and the rage and the and, and the and, and the giant levels of destruction, the the exhibition of power. Invincible has that in spades. It also has a very sweet mother son story, a very dramatic father and son story, and then again the world building, the government agencies, the relationships, the romances that Robert puts this um this this family through and and this character through is amazing and this is born of a guy who prior to working at Marvel in DC he made comics for himself he made Invincible he went on to make Walking Dead he made so many others he made Battle Pope which I had never heard of but he shared with me after I had heard of Invincible and he is still doing it to this day and doing it at a top level Robert Kirkman continues to deliver as a top level um uh you know regularly multiple books a month because he loves it. He has the passion. And those are the guys I've always sparked to. Those are the guys that I always will spark to because again, in the, in the, you know, it's, it's almost Easter around here. So it's, I think of, and I've been getting a lot of commercials for, you know, the passion of the Christ. Well, today we did the passion of the comics, the passion of the comic books. And if you really have a passion for storytelling, you, 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 you are sitting there doing the geometry of how this Snake Eyes action choreography is going to work out across multiple pages without the guarantee that anyone's going to like it. So you got to sell them on every page. That's the method, the Marvel method that I'm talking about. The artists who know that while they're doing storytelling, they're selling you a page. They're selling you a panel. They're selling the page to you so that you continue to invest in the comic book story. Sometimes you got to stop and you got to sell that page. And the greats, the John B. Simmons, the Jack Kirby's, the Steve Ditko's, they did it effortlessly. They influenced the Perez, the Burns, the Millers, the Chakens, who did it effortlessly. My peer group, our results will speak for themselves. We did it effortlessly. Some of us no longer do it. Some of us do. We are passionate about it. We did not look at comics as a means with which to, uh, you know, make movies and, and tell cartoons. If that happens, it's a great byproduct. I can tell you for 100% certainty, this, past, this last year, I pitched nothing. Um, yesterday, I kind of took one of the properties off and I thought maybe I should 
do something with this, but I've been so consumed with putting lines on paper, actual paper, and I respect all of the digital components and the digital art that's out there. My approach is on 11 by 17 Strathmore two-ply board and, uh, and, and with pen and ink, and that is how I do my work. And I thank God every day that I'm able to do it. I'm blessed. 34 years. My passion continues to sustain me. I'm going to tell you, I had a, I had a deal laid out with me, uh, two deals in the last couple of years. And this, this is how we close off, speaking about the passion. And it would pay me more to, to do this convention tour or to do these signatures. A, an incredible deal came across my table to do signatures, paying me a really high yield uh, per month, a, c- a contract. In that year, I would get paid more to do signatures than I would get paid to do comic books. Well, I don't want to do it. It, it will take away on some level for me doing comic books and um, signing comics is not my passion. It's something I, I can do. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy, uh, especially with this collectible booming market exploding. But I like doing, I like drawing comic books. That's my passion. I don't need to get up and draw any more comic books in my 34-year career. I do it because I want to. I love to. I have that same thrill when a comic book comes out and flipping through it and seeing how the pages match up. When I'm laying it out, I'm imagining how it's going to feel when page two faces page three, when page four faces, faces page five. And and just the absolute thrill that that will you know, give me. But whether it's going on a convention circuit that is more lucrative than basically what you're paid to do comics or signing comics for X amount of signatures per month, uh, that's just not where my passion is at. My passion is telling stories. And at this point, with some of the creative achievements, the comic books, the stuff that I've done, the, the, the sales benchmarks, I also, the, 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 royal, the regular royalties that I receive, I could begin to plan for my retirement and phasing out. That's not happening. If you're a hater, that's the worst news you ever got. If you enjoy my work, I'm thrilled to inform you. I'm going to stay at it because this is and will and always has been my passion. The passion of the comic books. A good compliment to the passion of the Cristo in this season that we're in. I am always thrilled to talk to you guys, share this podcast with you. Um, Thank you for jumping on board. Catch Invincible, which launches on Amazon this weekend. It is the beginning of a amazing dynamic, uh, superhero family dynamic that is just the most entertaining comic book series I've read in the last 20 years. Invincible was where my love for Robert Kirkman was born. Walking Dead, I respect. It's great. I love it. But Invincible is where my passion for everything that Robert did and does was born. So uh, catch that. Uh, Continue to promote this pet podcast. Thank, Thank you so much for listening. Recommend it to your friends. If you can subscribe, that'd be great. If you can just continue to spread word of mouth, I'd appreciate it. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for listening. I am on social media at Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld, R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, at Rob Liefeld. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld. Both of those are fortunate to have the blue check that tells you I am the real deal. You will be talking to this voice. Um, I handle my accounts as of now. I am on Facebook. I'm all over social media. I love talking to you guys. Hang out with me. Interact with me. I always love to get the feedback. So um, here's the trade-off we do at the end of every show. You are going to take care of yourselves. You are going to stay safe. And we will talk again real soon. (laughs) 